Well, hi everybody and welcome to Dorchester Community Church, or if I'm being a little bit more honest, for me it's actually welcome to my dining room, because that's where I am today. Apologies for that. We've been going through a series that we've called No Restrictions, brackets, to putting faith into practice. We've been doing that through looking at the book of James, which is towards the end of the New Testament. I'm going to read some verses that are towards the end of the first chapter, although it's going to be chapter two that we're going to be looking at. This is what James says, and he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to that early church, just so that we know the context. And he says these words, my dear brothers, sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can indeed save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man or woman who looks at themselves in the mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But the person who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will indeed be blessed in all they do. If anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, he deceives deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, when you think about the principle of looking after orphans and widows, that in our day would be looking after the ones, the people that are on their own. Back in the day, there was no social services. There was no support system in place whatsoever. Who are the ones that maybe we could be looking out for? That's what we're going to be considering in terms of how we think about one another and whether or not we show favouritism. Surely not. Of course, when this was originally written, there was no set chapter one or chapter two. So that final verse that I've read, bear that in mind as we think about the context before we look at today's chapter in chapter two, which is the first 13 verses. And that is going to be read to us a little bit later. But firstly, come, now is the time for worship. Ali is going to be leading us in song. Sing your hearts out. We will all be aware of the Black Lives um, Black Lives Matter campaign. We've seen the social media abuse of England's black players who missed their penalties at the recent Euros. We hear about children who are trafficked and women who are seized and forced into prostitution. We hear about bullying at school on occasions so severe that it's led to the young person concerned even taking their own life. Other kids are teased because they wear glasses or they've maybe got ginger hair or disability, acne or they're overweight. 
We might cross the road if someone coming towards us is covered with tattoos or has got long hair or we don't like the particular vibe that they're giving us. Or maybe we actually are seeing rough sleepers and we are determined to not give them a glance just in case there's eye-to-eye contact from themselves. And many, of course, even, uh, and uh, many a time, even in church, I can remember hearing people say things like this, well, no one ever talks to me, or I haven't got any friends. That's really sad. One person's testimony can be that the church is absolutely amazing, was so supportive when they needed help most. But for others, there's that sense that nobody in the church really cares, and the church maybe wasn't them uh, there for them at all. There seems to be no rhyme nor reason apart from maybe looking in and just hearing those two uh, polar opposite perspectives. One might be led to believe that there's almost a degree of favouritism going on. Of course, we can all be uh, tempted to be a little bit paranoid ourselves as if we're the ones that are not receiving the attention that we uh, would like. But let's remember that we ourselves are the church. All of us at one time or another would have felt maybe discriminated in some shape or form, how you reacted or how you react when you're discriminated against says a lot about you. But in James chapter two, God is not so much concerned about how we react when discriminated as he is whether or not we are treating everyone equally valuable as equally valuable. And that's what we're thinking about today. Aiming to treat people equally. Without further ado, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to James chapter 2, and that's going to be read to us now from Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. First thing that we get from that passage is surely this. Don't show favouritism. Not rocket science, really, is it? The Christian faith is utterly incompatible with personal favouritism. Jesus' great commandment to love God and love our neighbour, neighbours, is incompatible with prejudice. God doesn't pick favourites, and if we do, we're denying God's way. James uses several terms to indicate what type of behaviour he's talking about. In verse 3, he talks there about paying special attention to some whilst ignoring others. In verse 4, he talks about making distinctions. And in verse 9, about showing uh, partiality. In verse 13, that we'll have a little bit later on, he elaborates to show how people extend or refuse to extend mercy. James begins in verse 1 by saying, My dear brothers and sisters, it's a reminder of, that this problem of, fa- of, of favouritism is actually a family problem. You may well have ever felt that the favourite uh, brother, the favourite sister or, or, the, fa- or the, the not so favourite uh, son or daughter. I guess we could each debate that in our own individual families, but let's not go there. It's a problem that the family God, uh, the fa- family of God, the Christian church has, but that really shouldn't have, isn't it? So James is talking to people who are followers of Jesus. It's not just anybody out there. This is us, the church, which is why these words are so relevant. And he begins with a section that says, my dear brothers and sisters. And 
As he uses those words, you can be sure that he's getting ready to give some sort of of spiritual punch to the body. He's getting ready to nail us to the wall, because that's very often what he does uh, here, certainly with the subject of favoritism. But he's kind of like drawing us in. There's that there's that bond. That's there's those loving words, the way he's describing what he's just about to say to draw his hearers in. But there's a bit of, of a punch that's coming. Well, that sense of favouritism might, of course, include prejudice, chauvinism, bigotry, elitism, or maybe homophobia. All sorts of different ways where we can prefer a sort of person over another. Favouritism is to give preference to one person or a group over others with equal claims. Don't misunderstand this. There are times where you need to treat people differently because of who they are or the position that they hold. That's not favouritism. I give more attention to my children than yours because your family doesn't have equal claim to me or to my attention. But the sin of favouritism is based on evil motives that come from unfounded opinions or beliefs that are contrary to God's word. That is a sign, of course, of spiritual immaturity. James was writing to Christians, but most of them, of course, would have had a Jewish background. The Jews considered themselves to be God's people, so somehow that they were spiritually elite. James crashes through all that. It's something that even the Apostle Paul had to learn in the book of, uh, sorry, the Apostle Peter uh, had to learn in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 35, as he previously had looked down on people that were not Jews. It was quite a shock uh, to him that God didn't view people in the same way. And he felt rightly convicted about it as well. All people are in, are equal in God's eyes. So discrimination is wrong, yes? There are courses on uh, on this name, and employ- employers must be anti-discriminatory. What James is talking about is making inappropriate distinctions. He's condemning discrimination that is based upon shallow external factors. We've recently been considering the recruitment of an additional ministry staff member for the role of what we've called a pastoral care worker. Most of you will know here uh, something of that, uh, that journey. You'll know something of our own being a church. A lot of you will know a great deal. You've been here for years. Others still, you will know of the history and the development of the church over many years. So what sort of person should we have appointed to this new role? Should it have been a man or a woman? What would their ideal age have been? Would the colour of their skin have mattered, particularly when we look around in our own church and see pretty much 95% white. What if they were in a wheelchair? Now, even though the sound of those questions might seem quite shocking to us, I suspect that we could all have had some sort of picture or preconceived idea in our minds about what the person appointed should be like. That's the kind of favoritism or otherwise that James is speaking about. You know, even Samuel misjudged when seeking the next king of Israel. But God said, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. And that's what you and I need to do as well. Don't 
show favoritism. But hang on a minute, you may well say, isn't any form of job interview, therefore, showing favoritism to one over someone else? No, there's a huge difference between being judgmental and making a judgment. We had to pray that we'd be completely impartial and sense God's leading us to the best candidate. The process was complex. There are a number of people involved at different stages. We're incredibly grateful for having all been of one mind as to who to appoint. And we'll be introducing you to that person over obviously the coming days, weeks and months. We'll be sharing more of that over uh, the next few weeks. The challenge that James lays before us is not to show favouritism. But it's more than this based on the example he uses. How are we when poor people come in? We feel maybe uncomfortable if people are different from us, don't we? We can sit thinking someone really should go and talk to that that man over there without necessarily thinking whether or not it ought to be ourselves. I guess if we were to think about it honestly and were asked the question, do you think we should allow people like that in our church? We would all say, yes, of course. But do we go that step further to be proactive enough to be the one to sit down next to them? I think about a story I heard about Dorothy. Now, Dorothy won't actually be known to you and she wasn't known to me until I read about Dorothy. And the thing with Dorothy was this. She had decided that where she would sit in church, which was round about the same place week by week, For several rows in front of her and several rows behind, what she would do would treat everybody in that area as being in her section. And she determined every week to make sure that she'd spoken to everybody in her section. Well, we haven't got a Dorothy. But why don't you become someone like Dorothy? If you're in church today, maybe have a look around and think, right, before I go and natter to do it to me mates um, or sort out the next rotor for something at church, why not have a look around at somebody that you don't know? Or somebody maybe that's one of those widows and orphans type person on their own. Speak to them first. That's the sort of message that James is wanting to challenge us with. There is, of course, a cost, isn't there? People we accept or befriend, especially if they're vulnerable, may take advantage of you. They may have no boundaries. They may sap your time and energy or even break your trust. After all I have done for her and this is how they treat me. That's it. I'm through. And that's understandable. I'm just glad that Jesus didn't act like that with me. He was patient, gave me time and I blew it time and time again. That's where the mercy comes in. And we're going to be thinking about that a little bit later on. When anyone places their faith in Jesus, he forgives them. He treats them just like he does everyone who places their faith in him for salvation. Your wealth didn't matter. Your skin colour didn't matter. Your education didn't matter. I'm really grateful for that one. 
Your appearance didn't matter. Your gender didn't matter. Your sexual orientation didn't matter. Your history didn't matter. And it didn't matter if you were religious or not. You were treated equally. You were forgiven equally. You were adopted into God's family equally. You were saved equally. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 reminds us in the New Living Translation, God does not show favoritism. And to reinforce this in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9, we read there that God has no favourites. I like that. When we don't treat people equally, then we are demonstrating that we don't really understand what happened at the cross for us. This is why James asked the question, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? Even way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17, we read there that God shows no partiality. So scripture is quite consistent here, as we would expect. So if God shows no no partiality, neither should we. And when we do, we should seek God's forgiveness. And maybe even consider an apology to the other person that we've offended or treated differently. Well, you know, each week we have a slot for community kids and this week is no different. So I'm thrilled that all the way from where she's moved to, I'm going to hand over to Sarah now and I've got a sneaking suspicion she may well be speaking to the kids right now about the very same thing. Over to Sarah. It's good to pray together. It's good to celebrate, share church family news or birthdays, whatever it may well be. Also good to come back to God's word, to see what this means to the likes of you and me. So thank you, Andrew, for what you've read. Again, second part of that passage in James chapter two. And we thought a lot about favouritism, but what else? Well, here's something that's a little bit more of a sobering thought. We all stand before God as guilty. Listen to verse 10. We read there that for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. As if we really do need any kind of reminder. James, anyway, he's setting out the context clearly for us, isn't he? We've all done wrong. And before God, it doesn't matter whether or not we've fallen much or little. For spiritually, the outcome is the same. Whoever stumbles at just one point is guilty. I'm standing guilty, certainly, probably even just for what I've done today or yesterday. And so are you. That's not to say it doesn't matter how we live our lives if we're going to do wrong things anyway. It does matter. It matters to our own spiritual walk. It matters to our inner peace. It matters because of the way other people in our world are so affected. But we can't be selective in our observance of 
Jesus commands. We can't say, well, I'm, I'm basically an okay person. God will surely, surely overlook this one tiny area of my life. No, we've got to accept that partiality and prejudice that we've been looking at, we've got to accept that as being wrong and then to repent of them if we're guilty <coughs> of those things. James is saying that if the T-shirt that we're wearing reads guilty, then none of us are in any place at all to, to judge or show favoritism over any other person because their T-shirt wears, uh, you know, wears the same the same word that says guilty. We're the same. We could think about that in other terms elsewhere, where Paul wrote to a church in Galatia, and chapter three of Galatians, we read these words: "There's neither that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one." in Christ Jesus. So if we're all one and we're all seen as one, how come we don't always treat one another in the same way? The Old Testament promoted the same principle. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. You can read about that in the book of of Leviticus chapter 19. And if you want a real challenge for a Sunday evening, then read the whole of the book of Leviticus, though maybe you ought to sit down uh, before you start that. In terms, though, of our salvation, well, when we each face our maker, the issue will be the same. Although the T-shirt reads guilty, are we forgiven or not for our guilt? Did we place our total reliance and dependence on the person of Jesus and what he's done for us or not that is the all-important crucial question and then we got one final point here as well and that final point is this seek to be merciful you seek to be merciful let's read again Verses 12 and 13. Anybody willing to read those verses? No, I'll read it myself then. Thought that was going to be the case. Verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The phrase, the law that gives freedom or the law of liberty is almost an oxymoron, if you like. Most most laws restrict, don't they? And they, they set limits. But God's law liberates and frees. David Hubbard put it this way. He said, anger and hatred are not freedom. They tie us in knots. They goad us to say and do things we don't really believe in. Love is liberating because it trusts God to be the final judge and encourages us to do good whenever we can. And that's what uh, scripture teaches elsewhere, that we're to encourage of one another and do so all the more, as you say, as you see the day approaching. At its core, this law, uh, this law of God working in our hearts um, and writing God's ways and words on our heart. It's called this law is the spirit of God, sorry, working in our hearts and writing God's ways uh, and words on our hearts. 
This means that our actions can spring from a changed heart rather than from, uh, rather than from a conditioned uh, response, if you like. In a word, we are liberated, set free. Remember the Mel Gibson film um, uh, uh, of uh, Braveheart, uh, where there's that phrase that he's crying out, even on his deathbed, freedom! Better not say that too now, the neighbours will get a little bit annoyed, won't they? More than that, you know, we are free, we, we free those as well whom we used to judge because we should no longer judge them. Thing is, though, we're going to judge people, aren't we, whether we want to or not. We can either judge them by their appearance, age, affluence, achievements or their athleticism. Think in terms of the Olympics. Well, that's showing favouritism. Somewhere in our lives, maybe we picked up some form of an assumption or an attitude towards certain people who looked a certain way, sounded a certain way or acted in a certain way. And now we ignore them, look down on them or maybe even ridicule them. God says we are to not do that, but rather to show mercy in the same way that we receive mercy from our God. If we've come to him in, uh, in, in, in truth and um, in a genuineness and wanted his forgiveness. So he has bestowed his mercy upon us and set us free from all that guilt that so drags us back and ties us down. Mercy is compassion. James says it triumphs over judgment. It reaches out to help those who have a need. Mercy is what causes you to love those who've offended you. Mercy is what motivates you to help a stranger. Mercy treats everyone equally when you are not treated equally. Any selfish person can show favouritism, but it takes a truly transformed heart to demonstrate real mercy, something that you've needed to have tasted of yourself. Mercy is our one real weapon against favouritism. James mentions this mercy, mercy and favouritism again in James 3.17, which says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favouritism and is always sincere. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every single time. No matter how we might be treated or how hurt we feel, we should respond as indeed Jesus would. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 gives us that challenge. Our attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. This section of uh, James's letter concludes with the words, mercy triumphs over judgment. The word translated triumph over is a Greek word called, <clears throat> now here we go, I'll see if I can get this right, katakalchaiumai, which simply means to boast against, to exalt over, to triumph over. Our bragging point is this, that our God shows mercy to sinners. That is the beauty of the gospel. It's the reality and ingeniousness of the gospel and uniqueness of it as well. And he delights to do so. So let us tell the world, especially now when we can meet, no restrictions to showing and putting our faith into practice. Let's aim to treat people equally. Let's maybe issue an equal invitation to those we come across. 
Who knows what God might yet do as we seek to step out. We're going to respond in song and for a song it's called Mercy. And it's got in it these words. I will kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me. May I never lose the wonder of the wonder of your mercy. I'm going to hand over to Ali who's going to be leading us through.